Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. Okay, today we are going to get back into uh, the book of Luke, and we're going through the book of Luke now for about 16 weeks. Um, since the start of the year, since um, school term, first term, and we're going to go right through the whole book, and uh, chapter by chapter, and uh, begin to see a great picture here of uh, Luke's giving to us, which is uh, Jesus Christ, the salvation for all. Uh, here was, here's where we're going today. Did you know that in uh, relationship tension, there's a major detriment to our physical health when there's tension between us in relationship? Here's what Dr. Karen Schwartz from the John Hopkins Hospital in USA says about that. She says this, There is an enormous physical burden to being hurt and disappointed, says Karen Schwartz, uh, medical director, director of the Mood Disorders Adult Consultation Clinic at the John Hopkins Hospital. Chronic anger puts you into a fight or flight mode, which results in numerous changes in heart rate, blood pressure and immune response. Those changes then increase the risk of depression, heart disease and diabetes, among other conditions. Forgiveness, however, calms stress levels, leading to improved health. The gospel impacts all of our life, all of our life, spiritual, physical and mental. And Jesus is going to take us today to equip us to be able to overcome sinful temptation that can come in and destroy relationships and create this relationship tension. Uh, so come with me, guys, to Luke chapter 17. And we're going to take up uh, verses 1 to 10. <clears throat> and he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any of you who has a servant ploughing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare for me and and dress properly, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you've done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants, we've only done what was our duty. Lord, we thank you that we can gather today. We thank you, Lord, that we can do this in person, Lord, uh, by majority, but still some online. We thank you, Lord, today that your word is true, it's real, it's living. We thank you, your spirit works in and through that word and opens it up in our heart. We pray that you would do that this morning. To help us as we think about the temptations of sin and how that works into our lives and causes uh, relationship breakdown with you and, and relationship breakdown with each other as well. How you want us to overcome sin's temptation today. Uh, Lord, we ask for your help now and we know that you'll give us that help as we apply ourselves to your word. 
And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, we, as we continue this look at Luke, uh, showing us, as I said before, Jesus' salvation for all, it's, un- it's important that we understand that wrapped up in our salvation is a call to discipleship. A call to discipleship. What is discipleship? It's this transformational process of learning to become more like Jesus. The transformational process of becoming more like Jesus is a minute-by-minute Day by day, living out the gospel in all the millions of ordinary moments that we all experience. That's where the vast majority of life is lived. It's lived in the ordinary and the mundane of life. Sure, we have high experiences and great times, but most of life is really lived in the ordinary millions of moments that we experience each and every day. It's a bit like same old, same old as our lives, but that's exactly where the gospel works in its transformational process in our lives. Jesus wants to equip us here uh, to deal with the difficulties of living out the gospel in these moments, in our everyday lives. And as we think about that, here's our big idea that we're thinking of today. It's going to shape where we're going. Uh, Watch yourself that you don't fall for sinful temptations or lead others to sin because Jesus has broken sin's power over us. Watch yourself that you don't fall for sinful temptations or lead others to sin, for Jesus has broken sin's power over us. Okay, Jesus starts this passage here by saying, you can be sure of this, you can be sure of this, temptations to sin will come. Look in verse 1, straight off the bat he says, not if, sure of this, temptations to sin will come. Every one of us this morning has been tempted to sin. Whether you're sitting in this room or that room or you're online. Someone has said something or done something towards you and you've been tempted with an unkind response, whether in word or deed. You've all been tempted possibly this morning to lie to cover up something you may have done when someone's approached you about it. Or even if you've got to church so far without sinning or being tempted to sin, you may have looked across at somebody else and what they're wearing, oh, I wish I had what they were wearing. A bit jealous about what they had. You could have been tempted to sin then as well. I think everybody has been tempted to sin this morning before we even got here. Where do we live? We live in a world that is both beautiful and broken. Beautiful in every way, but broken in every way as well. Every single human being alive shares this common problem. We all have a sinful nature that resides within us. We all have a sinful, broken, fallen disposition towards God and towards each other. The Bible clearly teaches that to us. And with this sinful nature that resides within us, we're divided into two types of people. There'll be those who call Jesus Christ their Lord, and there'll be others who call themselves the Lord of their life. And if you are calling Jesus Christ as your Lord, you'll be actively engaged here in doing battle against this sinful nature that resides within us. It's a fact. It's an unfortunate fact, but it's a fact that when we become a Christian and decide to follow Jesus, that our sinful nature doesn't just drop off and we leave it behind somewhere. No, it stays within us for the remainder of our days. We'd love to be free of it, but it's not. It's still with us. But since power, though, is broken over our lives, it remains within us, 
But its power is now broken because of the new heart the Holy Spirit has given to us and the presence of God via the Holy Spirit living within us to overcome sin's temptation, to to strengthen us to overcome sin's power. Let me just say a couple of things here, though, about this temptation to sin. Being tempted to sin isn't a sinful action. Being tempted to sin isn't a sinful action. It could be as easy as this. You're scrolling through your social media. You're just trying to catch up with a few friends and you're flicking through and all of a sudden just something pops up. And we're all aware of how that happens. It just pops up on the feed and it's actually in a modest image that pops up. And it immediately grabs your attention as soon as you see that image. And straight away, temptation kicks in to take a longering look at that image and even tap on that image. The initial sight, first sight of that image in your social media feed or wherever it is, isn't sinful. And the temptation to take that longer look isn't sinful. The temptation isn't. You can't help any of that. You're not looking for it as you're scrolling through your social media feed or wherever it is. It just pops up. You weren't looking for it at all. But, but, it does cross the line though. When you do tap on that image and you take that longer look and you begin to linger on that thing, it does cross the line there when you make a conscious decision to go beyond the temptation and then to let your eyes and your mind begin to feast on that image. When that has happened, you or I have sinned. Prior to that, the temptation and the temptation to tap on it is not sinful. But it's when you make that conscious decision to tap, sin has then occurred. Now Jesus puts a pretty heavy word here about sin and its temptations right in the middle of verse 1. He says there this word, woe. Woe to the one. In other words, calamity or disaster to the one who tempts others to sin against God or each other. And then he follows on with this really graphic picture here in verse 2. What's verse 2 about? It's better that it was a millstone tied around your neck and dropped into the ocean than do this sin towards others. It's pretty drastic, isn't it? Jesus is saying it's actually better that you would die than you would cause others to sin, to tempt them to sin or to lead them into sinful actions. Very graphic, very descriptive what Jesus is doing here. What's he doing? He's sending us a very serious message here about how God looks upon sin. God doesn't take sin lightly. If there's one thing that God perfectly hates righteously hates it is sin sinful actions and Jesus is communicating here through this dramatic language graphic language how serious we must be in engaging in the battle against sin in engaging in the battle against temptations and not giving in to those temptations and then following it on he's trying to communicate something very serious here about sin and what it's like So what's Jesus doing here as we open this up? He's reminding us that sinful temptation is all around us. It's all around us. And as a disciple of Jesus, we are still plagued by a sinful nature that remains within us. 
and we need to take it seriously. It's not something we just sweep under the carpet or just, oh, a little bit won't hurt. No, we don't go near it. We flee from it. Jesus now follows on with this and he says, what to do when these sinful actions take place? Okay, I might have stepped over the line. And Jesus here is specifically referring to the Christian community, the church, as he goes into this next passage here in verses 3 and 4 and read that with me. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Church, this will happen amongst us. This will happen. Uh, This has happened here at Exchange Church. This will happen at every church. This happens everywhere. Jesus knows that and he's preparing us for this very thing. It's as simple as someone just says the wrong thing or does the wrong thing and somebody is now hurt. We allow our sinful nature to rise up in the heat of that moment and we speak something out without thinking about it and we let that unkind word out towards somebody and it's happened. Every single one of us have done that. We've either been the victim, the offended, or we've been the offender by what we've said or what we've done. It's all happened to every one of us. We won't escape that fact. But what do we do when that happens? Well, here's what we do first. We ask ourselves, is it really an unkind word that I've heard? Or am I just being overly sensitive at this particular moment of my life? Maybe there's no intention with what that person said. I've just taken it all wrong because I'm just too sensitive at the moment. You might just start off there in thinking about that in that situation. But if it's been intentionally said, and that often does happen, and the hurt is real... Here's where Jesus would have us to go next. What's he say there? He says, rebuke the offender first. Now, before your eyes light up and think, here's my chance to get even by this word rebuke, because we're all thinking, okay, here's my chance to square the ledger, and your fists begin to clench where you get these words happening, that's not payback time with that word rebuke. Okay? Rebuke is, as Ephesians 4 tells us, to speak the truth in love. This rebuke here is to actually call it to an account. Bring it out. It's not payback time. It's to be done with an attitude of love. Within the whole atmosphere of forgiveness and reconciliation, we are to make known to the person that hurt us by speaking to them about it. Calling it to an account between you and the other person. Now I think very often we struggle with that type of conversation and I get that. Because it's not easy to have that conversation. It's not easy to go and tell somebody, say, hey, the way that you dealt with me the other day and what you said or what you did, I was quite hurt by that. I was quite offended by that. Very difficult to have that. But we're doing that with the aim of forgiveness. But it still makes it difficult. I think often we'd rather avoid people than actually go through that hard conversation. We just don't want to go to it because it's just going to be all too hard for me to actually get the emotional energy to do that. But having said that, we may not talk about it with that person, but we're very happy to talk about it with other people sometimes and tell them how I've been offended or how I've been hurt. Easily happens with us. Jesus says here, though, we're not to avoid those conversations. We don't just sort of pass that by. 
And I've come across many situations where people have avoided those conversations. That's not gospel-centred living if we just let it go by and not deal with it. It doesn't honour Christ, and it stops us from growing and maturing as followers of Jesus in him and also with each other as well when we avoid those hard conversations. We are to have those conversations. We're to go meet with those people in an attitude of love and forgiveness with the aim of reconciliation to build up the community of believers in Christ by having those difficult conversations. What do we do? So we need to call our brother or sister and have a loving but difficult conversation. Not by text, not by messenger, not by any other social media platform, face to face. You can't have those conversations over messenger. You can't have those conversations over text. You need to be in the same room to have those conversations. You might need to have somebody else in there with you, but you need to have that conversation in person. Soak it in prayer, soak it in love and say what needs to be said in a loving attitude. And then we trust that the Holy Spirit is working in that situation, in the offender's heart, that they would then repent, change their heart, change their mind about how they spoke to you or what they did to you and then ask for forgiveness from that genuine heart. And our immediate response as Jesus leads us there should be forgive. Forgive the one who's hurt us. Without question. Now that may take some time depending on the size of the hurt and the nature of the hurt. But the whole idea of that is having that conversation and maybe some other conversations to get to forgiveness. Actually what Jesus is saying here in this passage is we must have a posture or continual attitude of forgiveness towards these hurts. Look at what he says in verse 4. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying I repent... You must forgive him. What's that? That, that is a not like, right, I'm keeping count seven times. One, two, three, four. Right, I don't have to forgive you anymore now. It's number eight. No, Jesus is saying there it's a posture. It's an attitude of continual forgiveness. Now, hopefully it's seven different types of sins. If it's the same sin seven times, you'd probably have to question, I'm not sure you're genuinely repenting. If you're doing the same hurt to me every time, probably some other conversations that will take place as well. But that doesn't put aside the fact of a continual attitude and posture of forgiveness. So sin will happen to us. We can't avoid that. Jesus said we're to bring it up, we're to talk about it, and the, the offender should desire to repent, and that we should forgive them. This is the gospel community working out uh, its life with Jesus in the centre. Now, the apostles that Jesus are talking to stagger at what Jesus is talking about here. They They just can't comprehend this. They're saying, what? Fight against sin in our lives? Engage it seriously? Forgive people who sin against us? Just like that? Without any sort of recompense? Jesus, who can do this sort of thing? This is impossible, Jesus. You don't know what you're asking us to do here. Jesus, if that's the case, we need more power. We need something else to be able to do this. And you can see what they say in verse 5. They say this. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. We need more faith to be able to do this. This doesn't just happen easily. We need more faith, Jesus. Jesus' response here is amazing. 
It's really amazing. In essence, what he's showing here is the power of the gospel working in our lives to be able to do this. Look at what he says in verse 6. He says this, And the Lord said, If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and that tree would obey you. A bit of a misunderstood verse, this one. But it completely ties in with what Jesus is talking about here with these apostles at this particular time in the area of forgiveness. Two things to see here as Jesus talks about this. And you're all probably aware of this, but let's just bring them out again. A mustard seed is very tiny. It's very small. A mulberry tree, what is that? It's a very deep-rooted, tenaciously anchored tree into the ground. You need more than a D9 bulldozer to push those mulberry trees out. They are tenacious. What's Jesus saying here as he brings this about? Jesus says, if you have really small faith, really small faith, like a mustard seed, you have the power to do the impossible, like telling a deep-rooted mulberry tree to fling itself out of the ground and be thrown into the sea. Really small faith can do the impossible. Let's take this a bit further. In other words, if you have genuine faith in God, regardless of the size, you can be as small as a mustard seed, regardless of the size, you can do something that seems impossible, disciples. You can do something that seems impossible, people of Exchange Church today, like forgive somebody who's hurt you. In the natural, it seems impossible. But through any size of faith, genuine faith, you can do the impossible like forgive them. That's what Jesus is communicating here in that sort of uh, metaphor of the small faith and the impossible tree to shift that. Where's this power come from to do this? This power comes from seeing Jesus Christ. It comes from seeing what he has done for us. It comes about from seeing the forgiveness he's already shown us at the cross when he died for our sins, died for all the offence that we committed against him, and he freely forgives me and you. It comes from seeing that. And it comes from understanding that and getting that. Seeing the magnitude of that forgiveness... So who am I to withhold my forgiveness from somebody else when I've been forgiven for so much already through what Jesus has done for me? Here's how Paul saw it in Ephesians 4, as Dot read it for us earlier. Ephesians 4.32 says this, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. What's it say next? As God in Christ forgave you. So where do we base our forgiveness from? Where do we get the power from? from what Jesus has done for us and demonstrated for us. So we don't, what we need is, is a, uh, a genuine faith, a genuine faith that is radically transforming us to forgive others. We don't need this massive amount of faith. We just need a true and real faith. And in that sense, power of unforgiveness in our lives is broken by Jesus Christ by the forgiveness he's shown us so we can exercise that faith in going to forgive others in that way. What's Jesus doing here? As he talks to the disciples, talks to us today, he's building a kingdom of radical people who are living an entirely different way from the culture that we are a part of. A radical kingdom of people who are living an entirely different way. Where do we live? We live amongst the people who are willing to tempt others into sinful activities. Happy to do that and think nothing of it. 
Think nothing of actually dragging people into their sinful schemes or their sinful ways. We live amongst the people also who hold grudges and harbour hurts for years, refusing to talk to other people. Hurts that divide families and that are never healed. It's amazing how that often I've seen that. Uh, relationships that are ripped apart. People haven't talked to each other for decades at times because they've allowed a hurt right back then to start and never actually dealt with it. That's somewhat of the community we live in outside of it. And unfortunately, sometimes that same thing happens inside the church as well. Jesus doesn't want that. He actually sets us up to be able to work through those things to see his power working through our lives. He saves us from that and transforms us in that. Look at where Jesus goes here as we we go down this path of seeing where he's going with us. Look in verse 3, look at these first four words. What's he say there? Pay attention to yourselves. Pay attention to yourselves. Just four words. So critical. Pay attention to yourselves. Here's what I know about myself. I'm really quick to pay attention to other people and see faults in them. I'm an expert in this. I can spot their faults out a mile away. Oh, that person's just too weak. That person's just too dumb. Oh, that person just doesn't get it. I'm great at doing that. I can always see other people's faults real easy. But what does Jesus say here? Pay attention to other people? No. Jesus says, pay attention to yourself. Pay attention to yourself. That word attention there means be alert to. Be alert to yourself. Be aware of yourself. Be on guard against yourself. To know about yourself. Be cautious of yourself. Pay careful thought towards yourself. What does he mean by that? What does he mean? I believe we pay attention to ourselves in two ways. Two ways here. The first way is to pay attention to yourself in knowing who we are. Knowing who we are. And what I mean by that is this. It's actually knowing our weaknesses and our failings. Because we're all good at knowing our strengths to some extent. But not real good at knowing what our weaknesses are or what our failings are. It's really important that we actually understand that about ourselves. Why is that important? Because I could be someone who's very cold. A very unfeeling sort of a person. You know, lacking empathy for other people and situations. If that's the case... I'm probably going to easily offend people. I'm probably going to easily hurt other people if I'm cold and lack empathy and lack sensitivity to situations. Because you might easily say something lacking that empathy without intending to hurt that other person, but because you lack that empathy, you hurt them. Or if you really lack emotional care in your life, because that's a weakness or a flaw in your corrupted being, If you really are lacking in that emotional care, you'll be like a bulldozer, just running through a whole pack of people and spraying them over because you just don't care how you say something. Causing wreckage all over the place. Pay attention to yourself. 
Or I could be the other way. I could be like a real emotional person, easily moved by my emotions and super sensitive to everything. It can go both ends of the spectrum here. If that's the case, I'm probably going to be real easily offended by others. Really easily offended by others. I don't know how to take what they're saying. I could be in a conversation with somebody and I hear something and because of my hypersensitivity about every single word or syllable in the word or how they said the word or the look in their face when they said it, I can feel crushed by it. And I I then run the risk here with these unchecked emotions because I'm so sensitive to these things in my weakness of who I am. I run this real risk here of these unchecked emotions to become this shriveled up mess, curled up in the fetal position in the corner because I just feel crushed by everybody. Some of us can be like that. That's why Jesus says, pay attention to ourselves. Know who you are. Know what your weaknesses are. Know what your failings are. Know what your flaws are. Because we'll either become a wrecking ball that bowls everybody over because we're so lacking with empathy and cold, or we'll become an emotional baby who just cannot bear anything in life. There's both sides of that here with us. Jesus is saying, pay attention to yourselves. If we know ourselves, we can then use the strength that the Holy Spirit gives to bolster up these weaknesses so as not to sin against other people and lead them into sin or even potentially cry out hurt when there is no hurt. Jesus is saying, pay attention to yourselves. Be aware of who you are. And the Spirit will give us that strength to say no to sin. The Spirit will give us that strength to not be so sensitive to these situations where we are oversensitive towards them. That's what God does when he comes and dwells within us at conversion. God himself, by the Holy Spirit, lives and dwells within us and empowers us to become stronger people, more sensitive people and less sensitive people as as well. How well do you pay attention to yourself? Are you honest to own up to the weaknesses and the flaws and admit them? You might need help for that. If you're married... It's a great thing. You Normally your husband and wife can very quickly pick out your flaws and weaknesses. If you're not married, that's okay. You might have a good trusted friend you could actually have that conversation with. Know them. Here's another way we need to pay attention to ourselves as well. It's in the sense of the world we live in. Be aware of the world where we live. Pay attention to yourselves amongst this culture where we live. Be aware of the culture that surrounds us. Don't buy into this culture of sexualising so many things where temptation will be overwhelming. Be aware of this. Pay attention to this. I struggle to go to the beach these days. I enjoy the beach. I love the ocean. I love the sun. But I struggle to go to populated beaches. There's too much flesh there. There's too much skin there. It's a problem. I just don't go there. It's the world we live in now. I struggle to watch movies at the, at the village cinema here in Shepparton. I go there and I look at these movies and I sort of say, nah, 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 nah. Uh, sexual innuendo, gross swearing, nudity, just crazy violence. You know, I'm like, oh, maybe that one. Then I run up through the Dove Foundation, one of those Christian internet sites to sort of see what it's like. This is the world we live in. Be aware of the world we live in. Don't put yourself in these places of temptation. 
Don't take yourself out there thinking, I'll be right, a little bit won't hurt me. That's rubbish. That's stupid. And if you do allow yourself to get lured into these places, it's obvious that you're not paying attention to yourself. And it's obvious you're not paying attention to the world you live in. You think you're better than that. Well, you're not. You're just not paying attention to yourself. We've got to know the world around us as well. Pay attention to the culture where you're living in. We love the culture. We want to reach them for Jesus, but we don't love what the culture gets involved in because that actually just adds to the further corruption in this world around about us. What's Jesus doing here as he uh, puts this teaching out to the disciples? He's building a kingdom of people being redeemed and transformed to live in a world with peace and joy and righteousness in him. He's creating a community here filled with his love to transform the community around about us. He's teaching us how to do that, how to be prepared for that, to be strengthened for that. He's preparing us and strengthening us to shine light lights in a world that is darkening every day. The sun shines brightly, but the culture lives in darkness. That a world that has no long-lasting answers to the devastation caused by sin and the unbelievable relationship breakdown around about us. Again, Jesus is preparing us to be the community within a community that becomes the light to that community. Sure, we're not removed from relationship dramas. That happens and is part of our life and we still go through those challenges and temptations will be there to sinfully lash out and respond in that way and say hurtful things. But by paying close attention to ourselves, understanding who we are, in gospel love and willingness to engage in those conversations with others who we need to have those conversations with, talk through those things, through Christ-centred repentance and forgiveness, genuine repentance, genuine forgiveness shown towards each other, we can live as a community that radiates the glory of God. And we can make a difference. Because the difference has been made inside of us. Here's what I love about Jesus. I love the grace that he shows us. You've got to love that. He doesn't want to leave us the way we are. He wants us to go through the hard stuff, through the strength and power he gives, to continue to recreate us into his image. You've got to love the grace that Jesus shows us. And you've got to love the power that the Holy Spirit gives to us when he dwells within us to put that grace into action. Not to just leave it on the pages, as it were, but to get it into our hearts and then to live it out. You've got to love the power that the Holy Spirit gives to do that. Here's the question. Are you making yourself available to that grace? Are you making yourself available to the Holy Spirit's power working through you and applying it out through your life? If you are, you'll enjoy that peace and joy and righteousness in Christ. You'll still have the hard conversations, but you'll become much better people in Jesus out the other side of that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We praise you today as we can come to Luke chapter 7 and we thank you again, God, for the goodness of who you are in the grace that recreates us and rebuilds us. Lord, we are surrounded by sinful temptation. We will leave this building today and we'll be tempted by sin this afternoon, this evening, perhaps in the car on the way home. Thank you for the indwelling presence of your spirit that strengthens us to overcome sinful temptation that enables us, Lord, to have relationships that honour you, 
that are able to have the hard conversations. Lord, I pray today that people will need to make contact with somebody today to initiate that hard conversation in a loving atmosphere of reconciliation and forgiveness. God, I pray, give them the strength maybe to initially do that with a text or a Facebook messenger or whatever, but to do this in a way, Lord, that wants to engage, please, can we meet somewhere and have that conversation face-to-face? Lord, I ask and pray, please, give us the strength today to do that and let us know in great confidence the strength that you've given to us through the indwelling presence of your Spirit, enabling us to do that. And may we, through that, Lord, be that community that you've called us to be, a community of light, a community of transformation, in loving the community where we are and letting Jesus Christ live his life out through us. Oh, we ask and pray that today in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person. So consider yourself invited to be with us.